So I remember it vividly the day the training wheels came off my bike. <laughs> I'd been cruising around the neighborhood. I, was, I just owned that street. It was great. I had my training wheels. I kind of wobbled a little bit, but it was fun. I knew what I was doing. And one day my dad said, okay, son, it's time. Training wheels are coming off, boy. And I was like, oh, no. And he got those crescent wrenches out, and he took off the training wheels. And we went down to the street. And he said, okay, it's just like before. <laughs> Get on the bike, and I'm going to push you, and I'll run with you a little bit, and then I'm going to kind of give you a little shove, and then you're on your own. I was like, oh, no, here we go, right? So here we go, we go, and all of a sudden he shoves me, and off I go, and I'm, and for three glorious seconds, I was flying on my own, and then crashed on the pavement. I had, my wrists were all bloodied, my knee was skinned up, and I thought, oh man, well, we tried that. And he said, nope, get back on the bike, we're doing it again. Oh man, so we do it again. Here we go, off and crash, right? Off and crash. I'm like, oh man, and after a while, after a while, like three or four of these, I'm sitting on the pavement, I'm in a pool of my own blood, right? And I'm like, I'm done. I'm out. I am not getting back on the bike. I've learned. I'm going to play it safe. I'm not doing this again. No, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. And the writer of the Hebrews is writing to people who know exactly how that feels. Because something very similar has happened. Oh, they're not riding a bike or whatever. But they were following Jesus. They got on the bike and they're riding along and everything seemed good. The wind was in their hair. Everything's fun. And all of a sudden they hit something. And they crashed. It's called persecution. They found out there was a price for following Jesus. They had to pay it. And all of a sudden, it knocked them off their balance. And they crashed on the pavement of their lives. And they're sitting there with, they're bloodied and bruised. And they're sitting there going, I don't want to get back on the bike. I don't want to get back up there. I, I did that once, and I crashed. And it hurt. And now I just, I want to play it safe. I don't want to get back on the bike. And some of you know exactly how that feels. Some of you put yourself out there in life and then something happened and you know what it feels like to be on the pavement of life with blood coming out of your wrists. Skin knees. Some of you came to follow Jesus and it was great. You felt loved, you felt welcomed, you felt secure, you felt like you're finally home and it was just, yeah! Yeah! For a while. And then you hit something. And you're like, man, that dream job you have, you lost it. She showed up and she served you divorce papers. And your kid went off the deep end. Or the doctor calls and you find out that the results aren't good. And all of a sudden, you have this crazy thought that goes through your head, which is, what's the point in following Jesus if this kind of stuff still happens? And, you, and you're sitting there on the pavement of life, bloodied and bruised, and you go, I don't, want, I don't know if I want to get back on the bike. I don't know if I want to jump back in. And so you sort of stay in this stuck spot of not committing. You haven't left. You're not, you haven't abandoned Jesus, but you're just laying by him on the street. And you're not sure if you want to get back up and go hard again. Because you did that once. And it hurt. And now you don't know what to do. 
And if you know what that feels like, I'm really glad you're here today. Because the writer to Hebrews has something to say, not only to his audience, but I think directly to you. And it's gonna sound a whole lot like what my dad said to me when he came and ran up to me in my little mess. And he said, son, son, it's okay. It's okay. I know it hurts. But you gotta get back up on the bike. You can't stay here. You gotta get up, son. Get back on the bike, keep going. It's gonna be okay, I'm gonna be with you. You got this. That's what he's gonna tell us. This is Hebrews chapter six. And so grab your Bibles, if you will, Hebrews chapter six. We're gonna be looking at verses nine to 20 today. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's a black pew Bible in the rack by your knees. You can grab that and join us on page 1004, 1004, okay? And what we're gonna see today is five truths to help us get up and keep going. Five truths to help us get up and keep going. And I just, I want you to know, listen, even on your worst day, these five things are true of you. Even on the worst day of your life, you can count on these five things. Okay, let's go. Number one, you are God's beloved. You are God's beloved. Look at verse nine here. Hebrews chapter six, verse nine. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. We saw this verse last week. We just hit it briefly. We're gonna go through it a little bit more here. But he says, though we speak in this way, he's been warning them, right? This is a reference to the warnings he's been given. He's been telling us, listen, he's been giving us a stiff warning. Don't quit on Jesus. I know you're bloodied and bruised. You're laying on the pavement of life, but don't quit on Jesus now. Don't give up. I know it's tough. I know it hurts, but don't stall out. Don't quit. Don't stop. Don't you dare give up on Jesus. Come on, get up. Get going. He says, I feel sure of better things for you. Better than the Hebrews in the wilderness thousands of years ago when they got the promise and they turned and rejected and walked away from it. I know your story is going to be different than theirs. Better things for you. Things that belong to salvation. How do you know this? How do you know this? It's in this term, beloved. Beloved. It's the only time the writer of Hebrews uses this word. And it is full of theological weight and freight here. Remember who you are, he's saying. Remember who you are. You are God's beloved son or daughter. You are precious to him. You are loved from before the foundation of the world. You are called and chosen. He has adopted you into his family. He has set his affections upon you. He sent his son to die for you. He put his Holy Spirit inside of you. Remember who you are. And more importantly, remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. First John 3 verses 1 to 2 says this, behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Beloved, there's the word again, beloved, we are God's children now, right now. But what we will be has not yet been made known. 
But we know that when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Beloved, you are brothers and sisters of Jesus. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. It's who you are. Remember the ancient word that we used in Greco-Roman culture to talk about sons of God? What was the word? Titans. Remember the Titans? Titans. It's a movie reference there if you didn't catch it. Um, The Titans, Titans, sons of God. You say, that's who you are, friends. That's who you are in Jesus. You are sons and daughters of God. You say, I don't feel like that. I sure don't feel like that. Have you looked in the mirror recently? You don't look like that, I'm sorry to say. Do you know why? Because you're sons and daughters of God incognito. You've not been revealed yet. You are right now children of God, and what you will one day be has not yet been revealed. You will be glorious. Jesus said the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Friends, if you caught a glimpse of what you will one day look like, as a son, daughter of God in glory, you would be tempted to bow down and worship yourself right now. You will one day be glorious. And remember that. As you're laying on the pavement, bloodied and bruised, remember who you are. Remember who you are and whose you are. And I know it's scary to try again. It's so scary to put yourself out there and climb back on the bike and go after it again. It seems easier to play it safe and just sit where you are. I know. But Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 17. For you and I, we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs, co-heirs with Christ. If, if we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see what he's saying? He's saying you're not slaves of, to fear anymore. You are children of God. This is who you are. And you have God's Holy Spirit inside of you bearing witness about your true deepest identity, that you belong to him. And if you are a son, a daughter of God, then you are also an heir, an inheritor of all that Jesus will inherit. And what does Jesus inherit? Everything the universe. You will inherit glory along with Jesus if if you suffer with him, if you share in his suffering, you will share in his glory. So Paul is saying, look, I know it hurts, but friends, these are the birth pangs of glory that are coming. So hold on to him. Get up. Keep going. Because even on your worst day, you are God's beloved. You are God's beloved. It's who you are. Secondly, you are making progress. (laughs) You're making progress. Look at verse 10. 
For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Let's pause for a second. He says, look, I'm sure of better things for you. Not just because you're beloved, uh, but because I see you making progress. And more importantly, God sees that you're making progress. And he will reward you for what he sees. You are working hard. You are showing love for the sake of God's name and for the sake of the saints. And you're doing all of this. You're still at it. Not just something in the past. It's something you're doing right now. And I know it feels like nothing's going right. I know it feels like you're just sitting in the street, bloodied and bruised, and you're not getting anywhere. But friends, listen, you are making more progress than you think. You are making progress. You may not see it, but God sees it. God sees it. He's watching. He's not going to overlook this. So don't quit now. Don't give it all up. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. If you can't crawl, then at least scoot yourself along the road. (laughs) But whatever you do, keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. You're making way more progress than you think you are. So get up. Keep going. Even on your worst day, you are God's beloved. You are making progress. And number three, you are not alone. You are not alone. Look at verses 11 and 12 here. And we desire that each one of you should show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. He says, look, you've been working extremely hard. You've been loving well. I want you to keep on showing that kind of earnest perseverance, love, and faithful obedience. I want you to press on to the very end so that you might see in the end with full assurance and hope the thing you've been working toward. Don't be sluggish. Don't slack off. Don't stay stuck. Get up. Imitate those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. You're not alone. This is a little preview of something that's coming in chapter 11 of Hebrews. There's a long list of people, saints from of old, who have been faithful in believing the promise and being faithful to persevere and walk in obedience in light of that promise, even though it's still at hand. And in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us endure and walk on. This is what he's calling us to. You're not alone, friends. You have people all around you and before you who understand how it feels. As you sit here bloodied and bruised on the pavement, you're not alone. You're in great company. All the great heroes of our faith understand this moment, how you're feeling right now on the pavement. They have felt this way. They have borne these kinds of pains. They have patiently endured this kind of suffering. And so, I mean, friends, listen, when you're you're going through something really tough, it feels isolating and alone, doesn't it? It feels so alone, like nobody understands what I'm going through. And then there's that moment maybe in your journey where you find someone who knows your story, 
Like they understand what it's like to walk down the path that you've been. And it changes, doesn't it? It doesn't change the circumstances. You still have to face all the same things, but now you have someone who understands from the inside and can walk it out with you. It changes everything. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He says, listen, you are in a great crowd of people who get it, who understand. They, they have had to do faith and patience and to endure great suffering as they wait for the inheritance of the promises. So look to them. Draw strength from them. Imitate them. Get up, friends. You gotta keep going. Because even on your worst day, you are God's beloved. You are making progress and you are not alone. And you have reason to hope. You have reason to hope. Now the writer's gonna drill down on one of those saints who patiently endured to see the promises. This is Abraham. Look at verses 13 to 18. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. This is a quotation from Genesis 22, verse 17, and it's, a, it's what's called an oath formula. So if you're trying to convince someone that you're being earnest, that you're telling the truth, uh, sometimes we will invoke an oath, right? You'll say, you know, like, no, I'm serious. I really mean it. I really mean it. By heaven above, I really mean what I'm saying. You can believe me, right? This is an, this is an oath formula. Now, when it comes, and we typically do an oath by something that's bigger than us. This is how oaths work. But in God's case, there's no way to do it. So God, who doesn't need to convince himself that he's earnest, that he's going to do what he's going to say he's going to do, but we doubt. So when God comes and he's trying to convince us, no, 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 you can believe me. He's like, I believe, seriously, I'm going to do this by, by, by me, I'm telling you, I'm going to do it. I surely, surely I will bless you and multiply you, Right? So he swears by himself, verse 15, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Abraham had to wait 25 years for Isaac and another uh, 60 years to see Jacob and Esau, his grandkids. So by the time Abraham is multiplied, it's 85 years of waiting patiently. It's a long time to wait. He gets it. Verse 16, for people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. He says there's two unchangeable things here. God has given us two immutable, unchanging, bedrock things to have confidence in. What are they? It is God's purpose and God's promise. God's purpose and God's promise. God's purpose, he says, is fixed, is unmovable. You know, when God commits to something, it's as good as done, right? You know this? 
When God commits to something, when he says, this is what I'm going to do, it's as good as done. When we, listen, we have, we're frail creatures. We have good intentions, but sometimes fail to deliver on them, yes? All the time. And we'd say, hey, listen, I want to do that, and then something gets away with us, I forget, something happens, the money runs short, ah, I'm not going to be able to do it, right? So we have this problem, which is we have good intentions, but we don't have unlimited resources, we don't have unlimited freedom, and so all of a sudden we fail to deliver sometimes on what we've promised, yes? God does not have this problem. Psalm 22, or sorry, I'm sorry, Psalm 115 verse 3 says this, our God is in the heavens, he does whatever he pleases. God, what are you going to do today? Whatever I want to do, right? It's a little Napoleon Dynamite moment, right? Whatever I want to do, that's what I'm doing today, right? That's what I'm doing today. This is God. He does not have constraints or limits. When he has intention, he always follows through on what he wants to do. And so God's purpose, his purpose is fixed and unmovable. Secondly, his promise, his promise, he says, is an ironclad guarantee. It's an ironclad guarantee, doubly confirmed by an oath that God swore on himself. And God cannot lie, and God cannot deny himself. Therefore, you can take this one to the bank. And if you are sitting there, bloodied and bruised on the pavement, wondering if it is worth climbing back up on that bike, he says, listen, you've got reason to hope. This is not just wishful thinking. This is not a pipe dream. This is your joyous confidence which is grounded in the strength of the character and promises of God who cannot lie and cannot deny himself. You can take it to the bank. You can flee for refuge into this fortress. You can build your life on this solid foundation. You can anchor your soul to this rock. It will never let you down. So get up. Keep going. Even on your worst day, you are God's beloved. You are making progress. You are not alone. And you have reason to hope, my friends. Fifth, Jesus is leading the way. You have Jesus leading the way, friends. Verses 19 to 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Listen, Abraham's hope was anchored in what? What was Abraham's hope anchored in? It was, it was anchored in a promise, wasn't it? God made a verbal promise to him. And, and, and this was a God that Abraham was just beginning to know. They had just been introduced, right? Not a lot of history. And it was a God who largely stood at a distance, came down and spoke a few words and then sort of went behind the curtain, right? And Abraham learned to trust God and found him to be utterly trustworthy. Now, Where is our hope anchored? Where is our hope anchored, friends? It's not in a promise. It's in a person. Our our hope is not in a new acquaintance that we just met, 
but someone with a really long track record. Not, not someone at a distance, but someone up close and personal, and not someone behind a curtain, but someone who has gone behind the curtain, found a way to get us through the curtain to make a way into the presence of the holiness of God so that we might have unfiltered, unrestricted access to glory and the presence of Jesus and His Father. This is who we believe in. Our sure and steadfast anchor is in Jesus alone. He is our pioneer. He is our founder. And he is the one who blazed the trail through suffering into glory. And he bids us follow him. Come on. And so friends, as you sit there on the pavement of life, bloodied and battered, and you don't even want to get up again. You've got to get up. You've got to keep going. Because even on your worst day, friends, you are God's beloved. You are making progress. You are not alone. You have reason to hope, and you have Jesus leading the way. So fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. He'll lead you home. He'll lead you home. Friends, Jesus knows what it means to be bloodied and battered. He knows what it means to be betrayed and to fall hard and deep. He knows what it means to be persecuted and abandoned and knocked down. But he didn't stay down. He got back up. Didn't he? He got back up. And he went all the way to glory. And now your father says, you, you keep your eyes on him. He knows the way. He, he, he fell where you fell. And he got up. And you, now you follow him to glory. And he'll lead you home. You know, sometimes I think, sometimes I think that God is probably tired of all my wipeouts. <laughs> you ever think this? Like, this is my life. I just ride and I crash. And I get back up and I ride and I crash. And I crash and I crash and I crash. And I think to myself, one day God's going to be like, okay, enough. Just stop it. And then I had kids. <laughs> I got four kids. And when they were learning to walk, they were the worst walkers I've ever seen. They were horrible. Like they couldn't even take one step. They're like, they're like, <laughs> right? I mean, they're just, they're like, and you're like, this is the worst walker ever. I can't believe it. You shouldn't even try. Stop it. <laughs> no, I didn't even think that. Why didn't I think that? Because I'm a father. And a father looks at every feebling little step and says, come on, come on, come on. Don't quit. Come on, get back up. You got this. Why? Because 
Listen, as a father, I'm not satisfied till my sons and daughters are running and leaping and running around. They, they have so much that they're going to grow and become. And I'm not st- changing the standard. But I'm never disappointed at their faltering attempts to walk, ever. And I'm not even that great of a dad. And even though I'm a messed up guy, if there's that little instinct of fatherly goodness in, in me, how much more your heavenly father who sees your faltering, failing flops and says, that's my boy. That's my girl. Come on, get back up. Get back up. Keep going. You got this. And he wants so much for you. The standard's high. He wants you to run and leap and sprint and and make marathons and do all that stuff. He has glory for you. But he's never disappointed at your little faltering steps. Not once. Your heavenly father sounds a lot like what my dad sounded like when I was laying on the pavement. And he ran up to me and he said, he said, son, son, it's okay. I know it hurts. It's time to get up now. You can't stay here. Stop. Come on, get back up on the bike. You can do this. I believe in you. Come on. I'll be with you. It's going to be all right. Get up. Come on. Come on. And this is what your father says to you. Can you hear your father say, you're my beloved. Come on, get up. You're my beloved. You're, waking, you're making way more progress than you think you are. You're not alone. Many people have fallen in this spot. You've got reason to hope. And you've got Jesus, your older brother, leading the way. You just look at him, and he'll lead you home. He'll steer you right. Just follow him. I know this is hard. I know you feel weak, but get up. I'm 37 years old, which is not that old. I'll be 38 in January on the 27th if you want to buy me a present. (laughs) Just saying, just saying. I like Henry Weinhardt's root beer. And uh, anyway, I'm 37. I haven't lived that much. But it's just long enough to get a little beat up and battered. Some of you have been through way more than I've ever seen. And you think at some point you'd sort of graduate from these things, but listen, I'm exactly where I was in kindergarten. This is what I need when I fall. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so little ones to him belong they're weak but he is strong yes Jesus loves me yes Jesus loves me yes Jesus loves me the Bible tells me so that's it That's enough to get up. 
that's enough to keep going. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. He'll steer you right. Would you pray with me? Father, life hurts a lot. And Father, forgive us for the times when we felt like quitting or we gave up our faith and we just sort of laid there through a pity party and just hoped other people would show up. (laughs) But you did show up when no one else would. And you reached down and you lifted us up. And there was Jesus right with you with his nail-scarred hands who has bled from those wrists and been bloodied on the pavement. And he knows what it means to fall hard because he went down hard, way harder than we do. He died on that cross and bore everything. I can't believe it, but he got up. (laughs) In resurrection, power, and life. And he got up for us. And now the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Your Holy Spirit alive and active saying there's hope. Remember who you are, my son, my daughter. You're making progress. There's hope for you. You're not alone. Get up. Fix your eyes on Jesus and keep going. So, Father, help us to rise. Help us to stand up again and follow you. Thank you that Jesus is enough. And that Jesus plus nothing truly equals everything. And so we throw all of our hopes on him. Jesus, we ask that you would lead us home. Keep us close. We want to be wherever you are. If it means going through suffering and the cross to go into glory, Father, we we ask that you would give us the grace to keep following Jesus. Jesus, we want to be where you are no matter what. So we hold fast to you because you're everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.